I want to invite you to the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs online community. Inside this community, we can take the EHAN assessment, and that's what all of this is based on. It's a self-assessment that we should be doing about every 12 weeks to evaluate how satisfied we are in our health, our wealth, our relationships, recreation, and our business. The goal is to live a satisfied life. So go ahead, join the community, do the assessment, and go ahead and sign up for that blind spot call. That'll get us one-on-one -on -one talking about your assessment so you can get a better perspective and so you can set the best goals possible. All right, all the links are in the show notes. Enjoy the show. We don't teach kids how to, we teach them how to be compliant. And the problem is yeah. if they're only learning compliance, they're not learning how to discern and decide because they're told this is how it needs to be done. Follow the rules. And yeah. if you don't follow the rules, there's something wrong with you or you're not a good citizen or you're not a good person. Or if you can't sit still, if you can't do it my way. And so that's a huge disservice for most mm -hmm. kids because we're not teaching them to trust themselves. We're not teaching them what it is to discern or what that means or what it looks like. And so it's no wonder they're getting into their teens, 20s, 30s, and still have no idea who they are. They've never mm -hmm. been given the freedom to really consider it. After 14 years underground, Cole Whitty and her husband have emerged to co-found the Psychedelic Space Program, a facilitator training for those who are hearing the call to support this wave of human evolution through power plants and master mycelium teachers. They are in effect connecting Western minds with ancient wisdom. I feel that we have just scratched the surface with this interview and we plan to cover it more in depth over time in different episodes. This is a highly requested topic, so I promise there will be more on it. Let's get started with Cole Whitty from the Psychedelic Space Program. My name is Tim Palladino, and this is the Entrepreneurial Hierarchy of Needs podcast. Cole Whitty, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we're going to go on a little adventure today. My favorite kind. Let's do it. My favorite kind. Uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about plant medicine. Uh, some people already have a great idea because, you know, internet and uh, how the world has evolved over the last, for me, three years. But, you know, it's been a lot more, a lot longer evolution than that. Uh, but plant medicine is no longer just a loose term. It's uh, researched. It's uh, coveted by some. Um, and has a major impact on, on a lot of our society uh, and a lot of it's behind the curtains. And I think, I think uh, now, and, and Cole, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I think now it's coming up and it's, it's reaching the masses because of it's not just loose, loose understandings. I think we have, we've gotten such a really good understanding from the science perspective um, all the way down to how it affects us emotionally, uh, the things that we can't put into words. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this. For sure. And, you know, it's been such a fascinating process for me, which I know that we're going to get into because it's, it's almost like we finally have enough science to prove the mysticism that was there before. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like now it's almost like the intersection of science and mysticism is has kind of come to a space where more people are willing to consider it at least. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the, um, where the gap was, was language, right? Totally. Because if you, if you experience this, 
like I've experienced plenty uh, medicine journeys and you just, there's no words for it sometimes. And it's like, okay. I love the English language and I'm pretty good at it. I have no words on how to explain certain understandings of myself afterwards, um, totally. which is good because that, that speaks to how pro- profound it is. Um, but also hard to, for someone to take you, um, uh, I don't want to use the word serious. Right. But like when I try, I remember the first time, um, I went on a journey and it was, it was for personal development, just, you know, getting a better understanding of myself. Um, I came back and I was, I, it was the first time I'm dead serious goals. The first time I used the word magic in, in, in a sentence and actually meant it based <laughs> on my emotions. And I was like, I kept on catching myself and I was like, what is going on right now? But it was, but it was true. That was I'm turning into one of those as, hippie people. I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely one of the, like an oak tree with, I love you written in the back. Like that's, that's how I describe myself. Um, nice. Yeah. Or carved in the back rather. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Um, you just had an amazing uh, event a lot of new understandings. Uh, okay, let's start with that. What are some of the takeaways from your, sure. your big event? And what was it called again? Yeah, so it's called the Psychedelic Space Program. And in essence, what it is, is there's more people than ever before feeling the call to work with power plants and a lot of these magic mushrooms and what I call my allies and my teachers. And mm. so that's beautiful. And that means we need to also be having conversations around sustainability, reciprocity, what plants, animals, or fungi are potentially at risk and what communities as we step yeah. into this in the tens of thousands increasing because of documentaries and news articles and, and then large entrepreneurs with impact. And so some of the big takeaways for the weekend were really understanding inclusivity. A lot of people believe they include everyone. And then when I look at their onboarding form by line three, if they don't have gender identity, they've already excluded people. Now that doesn't Mm. mean everyone has to be for everyone. What it means though is congruence in what you're creating and who you're serving. And just like marketing and entrepreneurship is about really determining who you serve. I feel that that's really what's starting to happen in the uh, power plant space because so many people need support. And just like we are bio-individual in what kind of medications and things or supplementation, so will be the case for which part of a person's shamanic journey. Mm. Maybe they're not going to do any woo-woo stuff at first because their physical health is as such that first they have to, like for me, I had countless medical conditions, fibromyalgia, endometriosis. Mm. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on that when I first got into the space, I had to, a lot to deconstruct. So I didn't start with the metaphysical. I started with the physical, like my physical body in the third dimension, uh, some of the self-hate and trauma. And as mm. that got resolved, then it became more metaphysical, mystical, spiritual. Uh, but it's, you know, nothing blocks mysticism like pain or gets you to mysticism like pain. I guess it depends on how you look at it. And so right, the, from that, the yeah. weekend, yeah, from the weekend, Uh, we were talking about certain aspects and components that a lot of people don't. Um, It comes from, I guess, not only my 13 years in in being in the underground and also leading trips to Peru and my own individual work, but also my partner, Ta, uh, was an emergency medicine nurse. Well, has been for 28 years, but 23 in emergency rooms in New York City. 
And so we tracked data on everyone that we worked with and we started to see alignments. So what the event was this weekend was sharing how you can use chakra mapping, which sounds extra woo. We say we're woo adjacent. Like we're not totally (laughs) woo woo. I don't wear white, things like that, but I'm definitely woo adjacent. So it's like if woo was a spectrum, I'd be like the Asperger's of woo is what Rob Dial Mm -hmm. says. So yeah, when I got into this, when I got into this, I told people I'm about as woo as Wu-Tang Clan. Like that's, that's as far as like, I don't know anything and I don't understand it. So that was, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. And so what, what in essence we've been sharing about is how childhood experiences and trauma really show up uh, in your body as life goes on. And just like you as an individual have unique needs as far as uh, bio-individuality, so does your physical body, what plants or substances you choose to sit with, uh, to integrate with, when do you decide? I mean, especially for high performers, they're like, I'm going to do ayahuasca because it's the biggest one, or I'm going to do iboga because it's the biggest, most powerful yeah. one. It's simply not true. One, two, um, the harder, faster, more now often leads to an adrenal crash of sorts where the whole body yeah. shuts down because people have been driving their body hard for so long without considering the body that this becomes another representation of the same pattern. Um, and so, you know, that often gets a sign that people come into the plant space, they get super excited. They do, you know, 30 ayahuasca ceremonies, their first like six months to a year, they start having hape every single day as part of a ceremonial practice after they just finished taking kratom six months ago and Adderall 10 years ago. Like there is a pattern (laughs) that we see that there's nothing wrong with it. But when you reverse engineer to childhood, I can tell with how someone is in their job now with like a almost 50, well, we'll say 80, well, we'll say like a 50, 40, and then a 10% chance I'm off um, Mm -hmm. for outlier experiences. But overall now, just based on someone, how someone operates now, I can give them a pretty clear idea between that and their physical, uh, how their body is right now, what happened to them in their childhood. Yeah. That's fair. But yeah, based on my my experience, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that in essence is what we created the event for was to teach these observations. And we're not all we're doing is sharing our perspective. I don't consider mm-hmm. myself a shaman. For me, shamans work in the spiritual realms and other dimensions. I work in the third dimension through body. So I'm more like a body translator than I am, say, a shamanic practitioner. Copy that. Okay. So if I would uh, break it down in essence, that's what I would describe it as. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So now you, you host um, plant journeys. Is that what you would call them? What's a, What's a good, an appropriate term for what you host? Journeys, ceremonies, you know, we, they're only available now either in Jamaica, Costa Rica, or Peru. Um, yes. We are in, a, in an educational space which means all of our journeys will be in legal spaces. Yeah, um, and so we work primarily with Wachuma, also known as San Pedro, and mushrooms sure. uh, of varying species or varieties. And, you know, it's been a fascinating practice. I've worked with lots of tribes, years of, you know, traditional ayahuasca, lots of different lineages. Um, and what I've really come to deeply appreciate, especially for high performers, is the exploration of Wachuma or San Pedro. 
because gotcha. it actually slows everything down, which for many entrepreneur type high performers is the most uncomfortable thing they could ever do. <laughs> oh, yes. But also, because I, I see myself exactly in that. Um, the about two, maybe three years ago, um, I started experimenting with some, some other stuff and it, this, this stillness freaked me out for a second. Mm-hmm. And then it was so relieving. It was so Absolutely. relieving. There was that there, there's almost a physical sensation of the weight leaving my shoulders. Cause I was able mm-hmm. to, and the way I was explaining it, actually, it wasn't me being present. Like if I was meditating, it was me being, uh, in the now and the difference totally. in my head is like when I'm present, there's still a buffer of like five, 10 seconds on either side of, of being, being now it's like, no, I'm living in this tick of the clock. And it was, it was a very, mm-hmm. very different, um, very different experience. Cause not only could I experience it, I could observe it, which is because in my mind, I think a lot of ours, uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on that too. We're, we're either the part- participant or the, um, or the observer. We never get to play both. And this opened me up to being able to do both. I mean, I've had experiences that I would describe as something like that for sure. And I can really only speak to my own and then, you know, reflect in what you say. And the thing that's so fascinating and that I appreciate so much when people will lean into the discomfort of relaxation is that. I don't know um, if you're into racing or if anyone that it's, that's listening is into like F1 racing uh, with cars, but ultimately the gas and the brake is as important as the gas, the timing, yeah. right? And so how most people are operating that are in that high performance type mentality are hitting, let's say, you know, they blow out a tire, they hit the pit, have the pit crew change the tire, but the, the car's never off. It might be yeah. a neutral, but it's not off. And so most entrepreneurs that we work with have learned how to put the car in neutral. They haven't learned how to turn the car off, which the engine needs to rest. And for us, the opposite of disease isn't health, it's ease. And only yeah. through ease can the body really regenerate and refill its battery stores. And that looks different for everyone. Um, we use something called human design to help people really identify sure. what that could look like for them. Um, and so that, that has been a huge tool because once people have learned to relax, not only can you do it instantaneously, but you find far more creativity because there's this space for even bigger ideas because you're not clouding it with busyness. And I know yeah. that for myself, I used to, I had to be busy if I wasn't busy. Like I'd try to go to sleep at night and it, I'd have like an anxiety type, like, <gasps> Like, because I felt like there's too much to do. And so now to be able to go into rest and wake up so energized that it's no problem for me when I have a big event to work, you know, 70 hours out of 78 for three days, because I'm a generator with three energy centers. That's who I am. That feels very true for me. And so it's knowing when to turn the car off. And so as, as people go into these experiences, they're comparing themselves to someone else. Oh, ayahuasca is more. First of all, anyone that thinks ayahuasca is like the strongest plant hasn't done more than seven grams of mushrooms. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody should either, by the way. Um, but it's a, there are plenty of other ways, things, places to explore that yeah. usually people just haven't yet. And not again, not that they should, not saying everyone, that's a space everyone could uh, potentially explore. I'm just saying then they probably haven't. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Psilocybin is pretty, uh, pretty intense sometimes. It's um, stupendous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it uh, usually meets me where I'm at. Usually meets me where I'm at. It doesn't, it takes me so a while ago. So I've actually um, had drug and alcohol uh, addiction problems in the past and to through getting and, and being able to enjoy alcohol still in my life, I've set a rule uh, for myself and it's not to, it's not to drink to feel better. It's to drink, to feel even better to where mm-hmm. I have to come in. Um, I had to dust the cobwebs off and make sure that I'm in a good uh, head space or as best headspace as I possibly can to use this as an additive, not a distractant. Sure. Um, in my life. I mean, look, yeah. we can do that with anything in life, right? So little sure. backstory that I'll Video summarize. Games. Yeah. Yeah, anything. exactly. I'll summarize in two minutes, but it'll give context. So when I was 17, I overdosed into a coma. I was into mm. substances. I moved out at 17, all that stuff decided, okay, well, this way is not going to work. I need to figure something else out. So I went and did Miss Utah Teen. One, competed Mm. at Miss Teen USA, Mm. became the poster child for Partnership for a Drug-Free America and the D.A.R.E. program, spoke all over the world, national talk shows, all this stuff for substance abuse education and not even anti-drug so much as uh, drug education, club drugs. This is 20 years ago. And so I have seen the depths of these indoctrinations and these new con or these constructs around addiction. I was labeled the addict and, you know, I have addiction issues. I personally never had an addiction issue. I had a connection issue. I had Mm -hmm. a trauma issue. I had things that needed resolve resolution and I needed tools, which I didn't have. And so when I got introduced to the plant space and working with psychedelics in this capacity, I was scared shitless and Mm -hmm. I felt like an imposter. And I felt, who am I to even consider this type of therapy when I've been preaching, you know, I had already left at this point from speaking as a professional, but I was Mm -hmm. sponsored by JetBlue. I'd done shows like Montel Williams. I mean, I had done large scale things, but I stopped because one of my last speaking engagements Um, I was getting ready to go up on stage. It was for a few military chapters for the U.S. government. And before I walked up on stage, they said, don't say this, say this, leave this part out. They changed the story. And I was tired of that happening. That wasn't the first Mm. time and it wasn't the last where someone, if I was having a news article or a news story or something like that, they'd take out pieces and change the narrative. I decided that was no longer functional for me. So I wouldn't, I wasn't going to speak anymore. So when I got back to psychedelics and power plants, it, it had been about four or five years since I had spoken doing, you know, in that capacity. And so I saw how disempowering the, really the depth of disempowerment that we were doing to people uh, in saying once an addict, always an addict, because what I found for myself in my first experience, which was with sassafras or MDA, was mm-hmm. that the, the woman of me, the girl, the person who had gone to substances to connect and to um, be with people had learned new tools since then and that I wasn't an addict. Yeah. And that's what always didn't feel right in my body. I appreciated the community that it created, 
But on the other hand, it was also saying, yeah, but there's something wrong with you. It was still coming from this shame space that it just, that did not make sense to me. And so I was freed my first experience to really go, wow, I'm, I'm not an addict. And in fact, I was never an addict. You know, I was a baby once. I don't say I'm a, you know, recovering baby. Like I learned how to walk. I got muscles. Correct. (laughs) You know? And so for me, it was like, no, that's, that's something that was a characteristic and and an environmental thing because of things that happened. It's not like it just, you know, started or or something I was just born into. And even the people I worked with that were born into addictive personalities, if you looked into the trauma and the epigenetic expressions that got transferred from mother to, to child, then it became less about something that happens, like it just develops versus there's unresolved trauma sequences that are being passed through the family versus some medical condition. Right. Right. Yeah. That there, that's a whole bunch to digest right there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Sassafras is, is revealing. Um, I've had some experiences with that. It's uh, allowed me to, to, to open up forgiveness to myself. Like it was, I could forgive others. No problem. Right. Cause I, I had, I was coming from a third party view, um, mm-hmm. but I never took the time to ever forgive myself against how maybe I mistreated someone or, even put myself in a position where I don't think I did good enough and who, you know, the, the whole gamut of what we all go through. Um, and then yeah, yeah, we, all the way to the other, it's kind of, uh, um, you know, like with the people talk about the hero's journey, we also see the, the victim yeah. triangle where there's the victim, the mm. victor and the uh, victim, victor villain. And so if someone gotcha. is feeling victimized, we're still participating in this triangle and we, all of us participate in this triangle at some, on some level, if you're really being honest with yourself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The, um, you're talking about epigenetic, tongue twister, epigenetic expressions. Um, Mm -hmm. is that something that you guys work with? So first let me, I'll back up a little bit. So when I'm talking about epigenetics, epigenetics is basically, there was a study, you can Google it, that was done with rats. And what they did is so Mm -hmm. they would shine a red light and then they would shock these rats. And what they found was even three generations after the initial rat, if they turned on that red light, the baby rats who now they were not, you know, that we're talking three generations after the initial rats would still react to the light. So basically it's, it's like an instinctual intelligence um, in your genes that remembers the trauma There's studies also around uh, Holocaust survivors that certain Mm -hmm. patterns they developed uh, post-Holocaust, their great-grandchildren are exhibiting now. And so, you know, like, uh, well, I'm not going to get into all the things, but things like hoarding and certain behaviors that actually get passed down and also medical conditions. And so when I'm talking about epigenetic expressions, your genes can be turned on or turned off Mm -hmm. according to environment, trauma, food all sorts of things. And so if you were a child, for example, whose mother had anxiety or depression, it is likely for a child to not only mimic it, but for whatever happened to the mother, that it actually gets passed on to the child, like the, the feelings for simplicity purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, which is why people will be like, well, you know, bipolar runs in my family, Uh, you know, but it's not like brown hair runs in my family. 
It's a, yeah. it's different in how it expresses, which is why kids can come from a depressed mother. One becomes an overachieving entrepreneur. The other ends up a drug addict. Why? It's both of their responses to the environment, but they've got the same yeah. genes. Yeah. It's, it's really wild. The first time I, I learned about that, I think it was from a paper called fears of our father. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember if it was a paper or a book. It was so long ago. But I remember it, it, it totally, totally blew my mind. Um, and, you know, right now, I'm sure you're familiar with CRISPR gene editing. I don't um, think so. Oh, yeah. So CRISPR is a, is a trip. So um, basically, for anybody who's listening, everything that, that Cole just said is totally proven with the expression of genes and stuff like that uh, in our environment. And, and um, CRISPR is a way to actually edit those genes and either prevent them from expressing or force them to express. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, so you can basically go in and edit your system to feel a certain way, be a certain way. It could change the color of your skin. It can make you taller. It's a real, real wild ride um, on what could actually, what you can turn into with, with this gene editing software or gene editing um, uh, tool. I'm going to call it because I don't exactly understand it, but they're, they, yeah, when, um, yep. Well, there's, there's different peptides. There's things that again, change your, your chemical makeup. There's uh, mm -hmm. in Austin, Texas, there's the center for human performance. Uh, I might be oh, saying yeah. it wrong, but a Piron and Dr. Dan okay. Stickler and, and Dr. Micra do a tremendous amount around genetic expressions. If someone knows that say, um, Alzheimer's runs in their family through dietary choices. And you can read about it as well with like uh, Max Lugavere's book, Genius Food, um, that you can actually prevent some of those genes from expressing, like you said, or yeah. it takes longer to dial them back if they've started to express, but it is a possibility and it's just not a, not a common knowledge thing. But I've also found that through shamanic experiences or power plant or fungi experiences, I had big realizations or releases through a sort of like ancestral trauma resolve that I felt my entire body shift in an instant. And so, yeah. you know, I've, I've also noticed that with medical conditions I had that I don't have anymore, um, that that also came from almost like a spiritual resolution. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing what you're saying. It, it's hitting me so hard because it's, it sounds like if you were to like, if I was to go talk to myself three years ago, I would basically not like myself because I'd be so afraid of what is about to happen because I'm about to be so new. And what I mean by that is that we're so uh, conditioned to be a certain way, whether that be uh, in pain or in suffering, that we think we're going to experience more suffering by relieving the pain. Yes. And it was a scary step forward. It was a very scary step forward. Um, the first one, luckily, my friend was like, hey, be here at this place at this time. And I was there. And then I was like, oh, this is what we're doing. And it worked out. Like, had I known, I may not have shown up. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's it, it, I like that, the, that we're bridging the gap here. Yeah. I mean, look, same thing, right? I, I was stuck in that once an addict, always an addict. Mm -hmm. uh, infrastructure programming. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And so that was terrifying because my, I had believed that if I was to ever touch anything again, that I would fall off the wagon and, and I'd be an addict. And cause it's, 
it's always basically waiting around the corner to steal me and take me away kind of a thing. And so what I really came to find that was the probably the most liberating thing for my entire journey was not judging any substances or any experiences as good, bad, or otherwise. And just Mm -hmm. saying, does this, what do I want in my life? Does this decision put me in alignment to that or take Mm -hmm. it further away? And so whether it came to drinking, the only boundary I set with myself with drinking uh, was that if I felt like I needed a drink, then it was a no. And so, because then I could feed into that. And same with cigarettes yep. and same with food and same with anything. If I feel like I need something, I know I'm trying to fill something like yep. fulfill or feel or I'm trying to avoid feeling. And so mm-hmm. I stay present to that sensation that gives me more freedom. But if you would have tried to explain that to me 15 years ago, first of all, I was taking Ambien to sleep, rock stars to wake up, mm-hmm. uh, plus mm-hmm. coffee magnum bottles of wine to go to sleep because the Ambien didn't work. And the only reason I stopped taking Ambien is because one day I went out to my car and I saw fast food wrappers in the back of my car, which means I drove somewhere. (gasps) Oh no. Yeah. So I was like, all right, this, this, I can't do this anymore, obviously, because if, if if something would have happened, I could have killed somebody and those are legal Ambien, but it's, I'm hearing so many stories or have heard, so many stories of people of crazy ambient stories, right? And th- this is legal. And so, you know, at least it prescribed. And yet we look at all, some of these other substances that don't have the, the side effects, that don't have the same potentials, and people are sitting in jail for them. When really I look at all of these over-the-counter um, substances that are not only killing people, but are f- exponentially more dangerous yeah we uh, and unfortunately yeah it's such such a, a systemic virus if you will like how we feel about certain things like hey listen jails are a great idea so are prisons because you know what sometimes people belong in them but sometimes they don't and and nothing is taken by at case by case uh it seems to be right like we have that that the the show of justice sometimes but no one ever is like, hey, should this be illegal? Like, let's actually do some research instead of like one side fighting the other side, like an independent group paid for by someone or the government or something like that says, hey, do we need to refine this law? Is this something that is really hurting us? Uh, is it for liberty? Is it against liberty? Like, what's what's happening here? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so wild that prescriptions um, are just so readily available so readily available, even with the understanding and knowledge that we have right now of how dangerous they can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I look at, so I, I grew up in the state of Utah and mm-hmm. though many of my friends weren't doing, I put in air quotes, drugs. Um, I knew so many uh, that I went to high school with that died of opiate addiction and, you know, they'd have a back surgery And then they couldn't get off the medications afterwards. And so Mm -hmm. when I really, you know, when you really put down where the the negative impacts are, it's just very different than what the laws reflect. And, you know, the the sheer fact that all across this country, we have spaces where marijuana is legalized or at least for medicinal personal use or whatever, Mm -hmm. to have anyone sitting in those states in jail for similar quantities or charges, it 
is insane. You know, it's like if it was yeah. actually a just system, then if something became legalized with the information we have now, so should people be set free with the information we have now. Totally. Totally. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. Totally should be retroactive. Um, and I think that's un unfortunately a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A result of a kind of a, a bloated archaic system, arcane system. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I, you know, it's still a corporate structure that generates a lot of money yeah. and revenue and money will always win. And so, what, yeah. you know, the thing is how I see it now is that power still needs a purpose. And so for me, mm -hmm. part of why creating the psychedelic space program was so important was because one of my personal um, journeys, I was shown that now more than ever, people were going to be flocking to these, um, these allies and teachers to, to learn, to heal and to grow. And it's going to be yeah. much faster than what even, you know, the psychedelics, uh, therapeutic, uh, farm, we'll say pharmaceutical, uh, sure. will be able to support and if we're going to really talk about accessibility for communities that need it, then it's also teaching how to use the power known as money in a way that is purposeful for the communities that have been so deeply impacted by the war on drugs, uh, you know, primarily uh, black and brown communities, BIPOC, indigenous communities that have been the most victimized by the war on drugs to begin with. And so by really turning these educational systems around and also teaching people the skill of money as it relates to power because psilocybin and MDMA therapies are in there. Well, well, MDMA therapy is in its third trials or just entering its mm -hmm. third trials. So probably two years from now, we'll be looking at a, you know, mainstream rollout. The thing is though, where there's going to be two problems again, one accessibility my guess, and I don't have any proof or evidence or otherwise, this is my approximation and guess, is that because there's going to be that many therapists, they're only going to be able to see people with severe PTSD, depression, or anxiety. That functional human being, you're not even going to be in consideration. Or if you're not in an area where these trials are being rolled out, or if you're not in a financial position or in insurance position, you will not get help. And so yeah. my, my hope for the future is that people learn about mycology and growing their own mushrooms, ideally, for the purpose of self-sustaining practices and financial abundance that is contribution-driven for their communities. Yeah, I think any good anything starts with education. And for sure. It, yeah. Without, yeah. I, I think anything is possible. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those weirdos who kind of thinks that there's no victim and there's no crime. So a lot of things should be legal. Um, like drugs for the most part, like, you know, if heroin was legal tomorrow, who, I'm not going to run out and do it. I just have no desire, but also I'm kind of for Liberty <laughs> in this sense where it's like, totally. Who's you're I not mean, my parents. Like you're not, who are you to stop me? Well, ultimately, like you said, we get to make other choices that degrade our health and the health of others every yeah. single day. And so for it to be limited here, limited here doesn't actually make any sense. In addition, like I'm all about legalization of many substances, but not all. For example, mm. uh, peyote, if it was legalized, it would deplete the source and it can't just be grown anywhere. So we would lose it. 
So, you know, things like Cambo or, or uh, not Cambo, but the Sonoran desert frog that's 5-MEO people are smoking. Yep. It's a limited population that's getting depleted very quickly because it's getting so popular. So it's like there are things that I feel um, should stay decriminalized. Um, but I think full legalization will have, you know, it's kind of flipping the pendulum. But regardless, for anyone to determine what we can put in our bodies is absurd when what's killing most people is metabolic health to begin with, right. which is is actually fueled and fed by entire industries and fast food and all this stuff, which we know kills more people than anything else does. And third on the list is something I think it's like third on the list is is doctors. Right. And so it's like <laughs> we're not getting rid of. Yeah doctors and again this isn't to compare or to say one's better or whatever it's just to sure. say if we were really about people staying safe the entire system would look quite different than it does yeah i i definitely agree with that and that was a really nice um, uh eye-opener right there about the sustainability aspect of it um it's so so true because next thing you know it's going to be salmon right like so i'm kind of a like next thing you know, there's going to be frog prisons, like there are fish prisons for salmon. And right. it's like, we don't, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. That is not what we're trying to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really solid point. Well, the thing is when we have, when we can, when we can have open conversation, then that's where we can come up with solutions. The problem is the psychedelic conversation for so long has only had a few narratives and a lot of those narratives, especially in a therapeutic approach, has been a you know white-dominated field. And yeah. so now we're finally starting to get more productivity in conversations of what a community's mm -hmm. need and being able to share information. That wasn't the case uh, before. And so I think that all, all of our healing, I say all is in, you know, like my friends and many of my teachers and people that I work with are now in a position of being able to see, okay, what are the, what are the big risks we all see? Let's start with what we do agree on. And then when we solve all of the world's problems of what we agree on is an issue, yep. then we can start to, to sit down and go deeper into don't agree on. And I, but to, you know, quite often people start with what they don't agree on, which creates more divisiveness. And then we solve nothing. Yeah. It's like going to shake someone's hand and then just building the fence right beforehand. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. You know? Yeah. We're going to build any type of structure. It needs to be on the foundation of, of truth and, and um, exchange. Um, and, and knowing what we know is a problem for everyone. Like let's, let's start with some of the problems with uh, you know, big ag right now, like large agricultural companies, mm -hmm. or let's talk about things with our food supplies or areas that don't even have accessibility to clean water in this country. Like we have, we have a lot of work to do, which is why psychedelics, plant medicine, you know, however people relate to it. I say um, power plants and allies, uh, magic mushrooms, mm -hmm. because I don't use them or integrate or sit with them as medicine anymore. Um, and that's from a Western perspective I'm sharing, just like oxygen sure. and water in the food that I eat is medicine for me, it all is. So I don't reference it. And my relationship to medicine in a Western paradigm of I'm taking medicine is because something's wrong with me. And I don't perceive anymore. There's anything wrong with me. Hmm. Merely things need to be reflected and there's adjustments that I can choose to make, but it's still not something wrong. Uh, it's dis-ease in my body. And so yeah. 
I feel like that's an evolutionary process too. When I first started, certainly the plants were medicine and the fungi were medicine and they were helping heal my body. That was my perception. And then as time went on, I became a student, which was no longer medicine. It was very much um, empowerment and listening and learning. And so my, my relationship changed to this work. And I still, you know, I know that that varies for everyone and it's all true. Um, I merely reflect on the fact that truth is relative uh, to context yes. and a person's experiences. So for me, it's all true. That's just where I come from. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So what gets us to the other side of this safely? Um, education, experience, you know, how do we usher this into the, to the masses safely? Do you think? Well, education first, um, because if somebody knows that if someone really cares about sustainability, um, then they're probably not going to go to five MEO first, because if they know like, oh, this is from a frog, a toad that lives underneath, you know, the, the, the the, leaves deep, deep in the ground for nine months out of the year in a very dangerous area in the desert. Um, and it's getting depleted then I may not do 5-MEO unless I really feel it's necessary for some part of my journey. Um, if, you know, just like teaching abstinence does not, does not prevent STDs or teen pregnancy, nor right. will not openly discussing all of this stuff, all the uncomfortable stuff, um, will, if we don't do it, that's not going to prevent people exploring it regardless. So for me, education is the only Thing that we can do and my my personal preference is from a space of personal empowerment and safety and sovereignty where we're not placing facilitators or shaman or ayahuasqueros or whoever up on a pedestal rather keeping it empowering the individual doing the work um, and teaching people how to discern who they trust with their physical body their emotional body their spiritual body their financial body for that matter so that they can find safe spaces for themselves. So for me, the safest way through it is education for people to learn how to ask questions, create boundaries, and really discern for themselves what's what's resonant. Yeah, you did, you just spoke one of my favorite words is sovereignty, and that's why I was so quick to call Austin, Texas home because there's an air of sovereignty here. Um, I. I um, and I think along, I think only sovereignty can only be achieved if personal responsibility is acted on. And I, I, and that is getting that education. That is understanding that when you deploy uh, this experiment with yourself, because you got to, you got to figure it out. Um, Cause there are, there's no one, one, one true, uh, one true path. Um, there's a responsibility to it. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's a really good point that you made that you got to fit. You kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Through education. That's yeah. I wish, I wish a lot of people did that with a lot of other things too. <laughs> Not just if this. we, if we just taught that with children, you know what I, I mean? Know. Like we yeah. don't, we don't teach kids how to, we teach them how to be compliant and the problem is yeah. if they're only learning compliance, they're not learning how to discern and decide because they're told this is how it needs to be done. Follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, there's something wrong with you or you're not a good citizen or you're not a good person or if you can't sit still, if you can't do it my way. And so that's a huge disservice for most mm -hmm. kids 
because we're not teaching them to trust themselves. We're not teaching them what it is to discern or what that means or what it looks like. And so it's no wonder they're getting into their teens, 20s, 30s and still have no idea who they are. They've never mm-hmm. been given the freedom to really consider it. Yeah. Experiment with yep. anything in life. Yeah. They, they go right from uh, knowing and mistakenly consider understanding without the experience. Totally. Yeah. So Cole, what can we leave everybody with? What's, what's something that everybody should take into consideration? Well, I mean, I feel like we've given them plenty to consider. That's true. <laughs> as that is now. true. I mean, the one thing I would say is as, as you, the person listening right now is considering uh, deepening your exploration or understanding of these psychedelic spaces, or if you're going to facilitate them, really looking at what does it look like to contribute to other communities that either don't have accessibility or don't have resources. I have built into our business, and I say business because it does trigger people and that's quite intentional. Mm. I've built into our business um, that we give large sums of money to groups that can help different communities where they are Um, whether that means to facilitate experiences or take them out to the jungle uh, or just integration circles. And so for me, the consideration I have for everyone is considering what does it look like to contribute to this movement for those that don't have accessibility financially or physically. Um, There's groups like the Ancestor Project. There's groups like um, Cosmic Sister, Veterans Mm. Walk and Talk, Uh, Veterans Walk and Talk is in Northern California, and it's literally a large scale group of veterans who weren't getting support from the VA. So they microdose or mini dose and go walk in the woods and talk to each other. And so groups like that that need financial support for them. It is that, you know, our our system, again, has not been supporting our veterans And so it helps give them accessibility. So if you consider yourself a a compassionate person that wants to give back, just starting with the Ancestor Project, which is specifically for BIPOC communities, Um, Cosmic Sister is really about psychedelic feminism in all women or um, women identifying. Um, And then Veterans Walk and Talk, there's a foundation called the Wiracocha Foundation in Peru, which is for the Quiro tribe who have kind of lost everything because of COVID. And so there's, there's ways to give back that for me, if someone's running a retreat, asking who you are giving your money to, how they contribute. Because if they're making money, even if they need to raise their prices 20, 30 bucks so that they can give something to these groups, we're going to make a huge difference in communities that don't have accessibility. And so for me, this, in our last event, we donated almost $10,000. That's a big deal for communities. And so, you know, we didn't used to talk about it. And I don't, the thing is, is I want it to be so normalized that it's, there's nothing to be excited about because for me, that's part of the problem when people are like, oh, great job, Cole. I'm like, this is the problem is that it's not common. And so it like, for me, this needs to be a part of the business infrastructure. So in leaving people with something Build it in. If you're doing retreats, build it in. Identify a group, bring them in. Say, what do you need? Because from that space, then we're creating consciously from the present forward, not from the present backward, which is what we often end up doing. 
Yeah, my um, uh, one of the the people that I uh, uh, interviewed for the podcast, Ron Kalundi, uh talks about the the corporate opportunity. Like, if you're making, there's there's got to be some kind of balance out there, so you have an opportunity to give. That's support. for me. That's the that is necessary for the flow mm-hmm. of life. Otherwise, if you damn it in any direction, you're you're not in flow. You're not creating flow. It suffocates. And it suffocates so, the pipeline. Correct. And so if you're receiving abundance, then also distributing that abundance through economy with the, you know, people will often ask, well, but you guys are making great money. You should be contributing more. I said, great, let's sit down and I'll tell you in all the ways I contribute. Cause it's not just giving financially to groups. It's also being able to support artists. It's also being able to mm-hmm. pay right for body work. And like, I, I help because I'm financially abundant, I'm able to bring abundance to other people running their own businesses. Mm-hmm. I get to hire more people for a team. So yeah, if you keep all of the money yourself or wrap it all up in crypto, take a little bit, take something. Because if every facilitator or person running a retreat, let's say I know 40, if each person tacked on 20 bucks to their ticket price, we'll say it's a low cost thing, tack on 20 bucks, you know, 20 bucks, We'll say times yeah. 60 facilitators were at, you know, $1,200. But if you did it 12 yeah. times a year, that becomes significant. And so yeah. I really would love to see that become not only normalized, but it, it's, it's expected um, that, you know, me and better like this. I, I think that what I'm doing is the bare minimum of what could be happening and, and that I encourage to start happening more. And from the, I guess, capitalist perspective, which I consider myself, that is beautiful for our economy. Beautiful mm-hmm. for our economy. Um, so yeah, there's no reason not to, is basically what I'm saying. I, I totally well, that's that's so beautiful. And I'm 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 really happy you shared that with us. Yeah. My yeah. pleasure. It's been awesome yeah. chatting with you. And yes. you know, if anyone's listening and they just want to dive in deeper or whatever, this is what we're here to do, whether on our podcast, the psychedelic space or on clubhouse um, or events, like we're, we're really interested in people that are looking to advance and integrate technologies, both the ancient technologies and the current technologies. It's, it's a new evolution for humanity. And so we're, we're in it for contribution and, and welcome anyone else to join in. So cool. So cool. It was a blessing to have you on. Um, I hope we get to see each other in person. I mean, how can we know so many of the same people? It's true. Still never seen eye to eye. <laughs> uh, well, now we can so prioritize good. it. Well, now we can prioritize. I like the way you think. Cole, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Yes. Cheers. Thank you for joining us again. If you haven't already, join our online community. Link is in the show notes. It is the fastest and easiest way to live a highly intentional and satisfied life. Listen, your health, your wealth, your relationships, having fun, and your, the success of your business depend on it. I'll see you in there. Link's in the show notes. Hope you enjoyed the episode.